Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 184 of the show. Midweek Madness is back. I'm joined by Matt. What's going on? Yeah, right off the bat, this was a continuation off that week 29. Yep. Uh, Having finished top there, 4-2. and two Let's go. Picks. And Zach also went 4-2, and two, and then I went 3-3. Three and three. So overall, after all those games... Evan is 136 and 150. I'm 138, 148. And Zach is in the lead, 141, 145. So I'm not that far behind you guys. I'm kind of catching up to you a little bit. Yeah. Um, Okay. I mean, there's a couple of things that we have to talk about tonight. Um, Actually, there's just one thing. Why is Frank Lampard back at Chelsea? It's just a it's a placeholder type thing that it's one of those former players can kind of maybe energize and relate to the players what they're going through. Um, he brought his old staff, Ashley Cole, a few other other guys. But I was looking at his record in his first stint from July 2019 to January of 2021, and in 84 games he won 44, drew 17. And and only lost twenty three, so that's not too bad. Fifty two percent win ratio compared to Graham Potter's thirty nine, and only eight percent less than Tuchel. In those eighty four games, he only scored five less as a team than Tuchel did. One hundred sixty three to Tuchel's one sixty eight. Tuchel had sixteen more games in charge. Uh, the only difference is he gave, he gave up one hundred six to Tuchel seventy seven. So. I think Frank knows how to get the best out of the attackers, but our defense might take a slip. We usually with him we played a four two three one. Um hopefully I'm sure come Saturday he's gonna start Kulabali and Fofana, if I had to guess, because Tiago's not fit. Um Kukarela can't play center back. I hope he doesn't play Reese James as some sort of center back, so I don't think I think Frank knows, honestly. Yeah, and I think the the number one person that benefits from this is Mason Mount. Yeah, because of his time with Derby and when his first year in charge at Chelsea, Mount was his main man. So I think this might help us in any sort of way of getting him to resign with the club. But I might, I me personally, I might think it's a little bit too late for that. Yeah. So I, I'm not too, I'm not too upset or happy about the appointment. He's only here on a short-term basis until we can figure out who our guy long-term is. And as we mentioned before, off-air and on-air, Luis Enrique and Julian Nagelsmann are like the top guys. You yeah. obviously have the other big heads in there too, um, in Poch and Fred and Rogers, whoever, anybody that wants to take an interview, it's up there, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I just found it strange that's all i don't necessarily think it's like a bad appointment or anything um yeah i think it's kind of crazy that frank would just be like yeah like i'll pop back in for like the next six weeks i like i wonder what they're paying him or if he's just kind of said like i don't really care i'll just come do it i mean obviously we know chelsea is like that's his club right that of, of course that's what uh where he spent pretty much his entire career Club legend yeah, for sure. Like Thirteen years, yeah. Yeah, like top five probably uh, in terms of club legends for Chelsea, if not higher. But I just found it like mega strange that I woke up and that's what I saw. Like Frank's back, Super Frank is back, um, and he's just gonna see out the rest of the season. I I am very shocked that Bully picked up the phone and called him. Um, I mean that that must have been what happened because he's director of football, so that. You know, it's not like he came from somewhere else. It was definitely bully. Um, I just found it really weird. Like they've moved so Chelsea have moved so quickly uh, with pretty much everything this year. The firing of Tuchel came as a surprise. The hiring of Potter immediately kind of came as a surprise. Firing of Potter maybe not so much, but at the same time, like it was kind of stop and go. He was he was like on the the shit list. Then he was totally fine, and they weren't worried about it. They went back to the shit list and was gone immediately. I just think the like the bringing in of Frank is maybe a little bit more of a conservative step, which I think is a good thing. That's probably the direction 
uh, that Chelsea need to be like aligning themselves a bit more with uh, rather than the throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. But I did find it uh, just a bit strange. I thought they would have just laid out the red carpet for um, either Nagelsmann or um, what's his name? Name Enrique. Uh, Luis Enrique. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't. I don't think now would be the time, the appropriate time to bring one of those guys in. Yeah, I think that's fair. I just don't think that stopped Bully at all this season. I mean, I think he, I think, well, I don't think, I think, I would hope he would have learned now from that long-term deal to Potter. Yeah. Um, Now seeing firsthand like how anything can happen in this league and a few strings of results don't go your way now. Any manager yeah, can bummed. get can get can just fuck off, but yeah, no, I think now just having a long sit down and several weeks to have a long term inter- um, interview with these guys and really narrow down who he wants and I, and figure out who he agrees with best and likes the vision of where the manager wants the club to be and how he envisions his team in the future. So um, that should be interesting. And I was just looking over the years of the amount of game time got players have had and the amount of players that are still here from each season. It's we, we keep maybe 40% of the team every year. Most guys leave or just sell on for free. And so it'll be interesting to see if we can hold a manager for longer than two years at this point. Cause we haven't, like I think you mentioned um, the last time we had a manager longer than three years, we were talking about this. I just had it up the, like I think it was Mourinho for his first stint. Yeah. Um, I'm pulling it up now. It was uh. Yeah, we, yeah, you have to go back to Mourinho's first stint, June two thousand four to September two thousand seven. Right. And then everybody else is, lo- uh, less than that. Yeah. So just a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, that was pretty much like. You know, the one piece of news I think that everybody was kind of uh, hanging on this morning. Everything else has pretty much been uh, status quo, including the match that Chelsea played on Tuesday, April 4th. But we'll get to that. Uh, let's uh, let's jump into these games. We have match day seven, three makeups from that match day. Uh, the first one being Leeds United versus Nottingham Forest. This is a tough one for me. I thought maybe Nottingham Forest be able to pull it out. And up to about the 12th minute mark, or really the 20th minute mark, uh, it looked pretty good. Oral Mangalot with a goal in the 12th minute. Some absolutely silky play by Nottingham Forest to score that one. But then in the 20th minute, uh, Leeds United were able to level through the one uh, Jack Harrison, who actually, uh, I believe, spent most of his career uh, youth career in the United States playing uh, for, I think he played at like UConn or something like that, which is interesting. I think, um, it, was, I think it was, I think he went Wake Forest for one oh, year. Oh, was it Wake then, Forest? And then played for NYCFC. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, just a cut inside, passed to McKenney. He laid the ball off um, and then <clears throat> was passed to Harrison, who was able to, uh, or it was re- reflected, deflected back into Harrison's path, and he finished the rebound. Uh, in the, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, f- stoppage time in the first half, Luis Sinistera was able to get the go-ahead, and things uh, stayed the same since then. So a 2-1 victory for Leeds, much needed at this point. Um, I think they played much, much better in the second half than they did in the first uh, some of that rest, maybe paying off a little bit with McKinney being able to get back into this side. Aronson playing a little bit further back, not at that striker position, which is what we saw last week. Uh, and a really good second half from Leeds, able to sit on the lead and take all three points. Yeah, Jack Harrison also just penned a new five-year deal with Leeds, keeping him until the summer of 2028. Uh, there was the whole dialogue of maybe him going to a Leicester or something, kind of maybe stepping up the ladder in uh, Premier League quality, but as they are now, they're in the same boat there, bottom tier. But yeah, massive result for Leeds. I was happy that Leeds pulled this one out for me. This was a big win. Forrest, I just went with my gut with the stats. Forrest away just are absolutely abysmal. And they did get the early lead, and you did send me that message. And I know, which did, was, was the a, kiss of death. That was stupid. Yeah. So And Sinistera getting a massive goal in his return was big. 
um, floating around there on the left wing. They've had so much quality up front with the amount of guys they have now that Nanto's injured. They bring Sinistera back, and you have the guys, uh, the likes of Somerville and Rodrigo off the bench. Yep. They, sh- they shouldn't have any problems putting in chances after chance, but it's going to be the buildup and the structure in the back that wins them. Uh, these games at the end of the day, no Tyler Adams the remainder of the year, and that back four has been there. Achilles heel come the end of the year. They've always been limping into the across the finish line to stay up, and uh, sooner or later, it's not gonna it's not gonna keep them up. We saw this with Burnley, Sheffield teams that are pretty decent defensively, but can't score. And now it's a uh, opposite here. But we'll see. We'll see if they're if it's their year or not to stay up again. But Forest going on a bad string of games now where. They're dropping points after points. They're winless in their last six, and now they're tied on points with Bournemouth in that last relegation spot, but only just ahead by goal differential. So tough defeat. They have to bounce back, and it's not going to get any easier against no. Aston Villa, who are flying. Yeah, it absolutely is, and it's only going to get harder uh, from here. No doubt about that. Okay, let's move on to Bournemouth nil, Brighton 2. Do you want me to take this? Sure. Uh, every other yeah yeah um, yeah so brighton big win here two nil away at bournemouth matoma assisting evan ferguson on the first in the 28th minute i believe that's his fourth goal on the year surprisingly he's just come onto the scene immensely uh as an 18 year old there in that system it's great under the Zerbi. uh and then the, the second goal didn't even come until the 91st minute to seal a deal uh julio and and Cicio. Assisted by Gross, just sealing the deal. Bournemouth were in this game. They had pretty several good chances in the in the first half. Solanke having the the two of the three on target for them. The other from Lerma, but Brighton just end to end 63 percent possession. Their build up play was great. Caicedo, another phenomenal game in there for for the Seagulls. Um, just from minute one to ninety, it just never seemed like it was ever going to leave Brighton's hands. Yeah, no, I mean that's that's just kind of the way that Brighton have played against some of the more, let's say, mediocre opposition. Uh, they typically play tight games or even contend for three points in the stronger teams, and then just get the job done against some of the lower teams. This, um, I thought, is just kind of really indicative of the way that Brighton have played all season. Uh, the Serbi very structured. Same lineup for the most part, as we've seen. Sometimes Ferguson starts, sometimes he doesn't. But for the most part, him and Welbeck are putting the ships in up top. Uh, lining up behind him with Matoma, McAllister, and Solly March. There's just not much more you can ask for, honestly. They are a very, very good Premier League side. And pretty much week in and week out, with you know the occasional falter here or there, uh, are just good. You know They're fun to watch. Uh, I think Matoma's been one of those players this season that has certainly uh, inserted his name into, you know, transfer talks, things like that. But um, he's just really good. They should do their best. I mean, I don't know what his contract situation looks like precisely right now, but I think Brighton would be intelligent to try and lock Matoma up, especially if you're going to let Alexis McAllister move on. And that seems to be, from what I've heard, uh, that that seems to kind of be what's expected, you know, come this summer. He's a he's a hot ticket item. Um, but yeah, what's up? I was just gonna say Matoma's contracts up in twenty twenty five, so he's got oh, so he's got two years. Deal. Yeah, that's good. Um, what that's I would the, that would be the prime time to re-sign him. Yeah, I I think you know they got to do their best to sign him as soon as possible because his demand, especially if he keeps his form towards the end of the season, like. His demands are only going to go up, right? Which is totally fair. Um, but this Brighton side, I mean, there is just there's not much that I look at. Maybe outside of Veltman, who does who he does pretty well, um, that needs to be you know upgraded. I think that they're they are a very very good side, and they're they're paying him pennies to the dollar, right? Ten thousand pounds a week. That's nothing for the performance you're getting out of him. Like there are guys that are making you know a hundred or more <laughs> thinking about Lingard guys like that that aren't doing or not Lingard um Sancho paying Adam Lalana 90k a week right so just think about that like the performance you're getting out of him for the price you're paying is fucking unreal it's just really shrewd business and that's kind of why Brighton have been amazing this year 
Yeah. <clears throat> and then Bournemouth are shit. I mean, I don't know what else we need to say really about them. They just continually they're like I would bet against them in the middle of the season they would fuck me and win because, you know, they'd go right down and score or score in the ninetieth minute. And everything in between is just absolute dog shit from from what I see every single week. Yeah, they have several games that are big six pointers. They play yeah. a lot of the teams in the area where they're competing to stay up against, but when it comes to the opposite, they still have massive games against Chelsea United and Spurs. Uh, a lot of those big games are at home for them, so it's they just have to find that rally, that rallying form at home. The, yeah. What we've seen with Forest and West Ham, Everton, these clubs are all just staying afloat off their home form. So if Bournemouth can find any sort of form in that, uh, I think they have some sort of shot to keep themselves up. Yeah, I mean, they've just got to make the, the home <clears throat> home uh, games just absolute fortress. I don't really think that's going to happen necessarily. 10,000 um, strong. Yeah, it's tough, man. That's a very, very small stadium. But Bournemouth, I think, like, a lot of it comes down to the fact that there's not one player that they can necessarily all rally around. You're looking at everybody else that's kind of down there in the relegation battle. Like Leicester City have Madison, uh, Nottingham Forest have Brennan Johnson, Everton have actually quite a few players that I think are sound, and then West Ham and Wolves both have players like that as well with Rice in the midfield. And uh, I guess it's really been Daniel Potens for Wolves this season. Um, I just worry like. Bournemouth, their best players, probably Philip Billing. That's just not a good sign, is it? He's their top scorer with six goals. That's a tough look. Their main number nine, Solanke, has four. Yeah, and he just has not been good. I mean, we we kind of talked about him at the beginning of the season. Like maybe he's just isolated up top. I know they yeah. play so deep, and it's tough to find him the ball. And when they do, he has nobody to really link up with. So it's really tough for him to get involved with the gameplay. Yeah, I mean, Bournemouth are just, I don't know, I think it's a tactical uh, issue. I think it's a personnel issue. I just, I, every single time I watch them, I'm just, there's nothing I can take and be like, yeah, that moved me. Like, they are the kings of just playing really good football for 15 seconds and then scoring and then doing nothing after it. Yeah, they they were one of the least invested teams this year coming into yeah. the start of the year. They didn't invest that much money in the squad. Yeah, I mean it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. I think I actually think when Michael B. Jordan bought stake in the team, like it it's been the biggest story of the season for Bournemouth, and that's never it was pretty minor stake as well. So I mean just not ideal really for the cherries. Yeah. Um okay, let's move on. Leicester City one, Aston Villa two. Uh, this one was wild. Ollie Watkins continuing his absolutely sensational form. He scored in the 24th. Harvey Barnes got one back in the 35th. Then uh, Kieran Dewsbury Hall. It's actually Kieran. And, uh, he saw red in the 70th minute. Leicester City played down a man from 70 to full time. But Bertrand Traore in the meantime was able to nick a goal in the 87th. A Chelsea product, I believe, Bertrand Traore. Yeah. Uh, been all over the place, but <clears throat> I think he did spend a lot of his youth uh, at Chelsea. Scoring the 87th, Villa take all three points uh, in a matchup that was just absolutely crucial for Leicester City. Looked like they were going to be able to hold on uh, and just secure a point. They totally needed it here, too, and they were unable to do so, unfortunately. Uh, at this current juncture, Aston Villa are in seventh place on 44 points. Leicester City all the way down in 19th. Uh, need They need wins uh, coming down the stretch here, or it looks like the Foxes will be playing Champions League or Championship football. Yeah, they have the second longest winless streak with seven, only behind Forrest with eight. Um, two games of feet now, five losses in their last six. I mean... They got rid of Braj, and I thought playing Vardy definitely is a bit of a morale booster at home. He was trying to get the crowd involved, and when they got that equalizer, I felt good about it. I felt like, yep. all right, they get some momentum here, but I feel like King Power Stadium is one of the least, um, what's the word? The, the crowd involvement is, like, minimum. And yeah, there's it's no like, electricity. Yeah, it's, like, one of the driest atmospheres to play, and that when I watch games there, it's, like, as soon as the other team scores or gets any sort of handle handle on the game, the, the fans kind of die out, which I feel like carries over to the players. And 
the way the manager carries himself like it seems kind of dead and they're just like they're just a corpse at sometimes it's really hard to watch but I really felt like they did have a chance at that 1-1 and as soon as I got that notification Dewsbury Hill got his second yellow I felt like yeah that's it um, they have nobody off the bench that can affect the game massively or um, anybody in the midfield to really rally with no Tillemans. Um Now Dewsbury Hall is going to be at the next game and yep. Didi is playing like a shell of himself um, from prior years. I mean, it's really tough to watch and James Madison can't carry the load on his own. Barnes did get a goal here, but he's been too sporadic all year. And that back line is just, they did invest, but it's just not good enough. So a tough defeat here. Villa rally on. They they still, they're five wins in their last six. It's, it's they're really challenging out there to get a Europa League spot. Yeah, they absolutely are. There's no question about it. Um, <clears throat> okay, let us move on to, I mean, I'm going to hand this one off to you. Chelsea nil, Liverpool nil. The fourth straight scoreless draw between yep. the two sides in a row. Um, this was open for Chelsea to get the win. Chelsea had the chances more over than Liverpool, and I think it started right when you saw the lineups. Van Dijk, Trent, Rabo, um, Salah, all on the bench or not in the squad. Um, the midfield wide open there, just Curtis Jones getting a start, Henderson, Fabinho. I mean... Any chance you wanted to get a win right off the rip, it was there. Um, we played three in the middle this time instead of just the two. Uh, Conte stepped in alongside Fernandez and Kovacic, who have been pairing off together in the last few run of games. Um, and then Fofana steps in for Reese James at right wing back, or at right back, right center back, and James moves up to take Loftus cheek spot. Other than that, it was the same team. Uh, the wingbacks did get involved a little bit, not as much as I would have liked, but Havertz, MVP, or what, no, LVP, least valuable mm-hmm. player. Um, the breakaway was the toughest thing to watch when the one he scored on, it was just perfect representation of our attack this year, how all of our chances just fade away into darkness. Uh, I did celebrate it for half a second and then just yeah. immediately just pale. Just all emotions get drained out of me, and it's so fucking tough, man. Yeah, it's... I can't really imagine right now. Like, it's got to be tough watching this shit because even when you guys defend well, you know that you are going to struggle. You might get, you know, at the max, what are you getting? Two goals? Like, on a good day, Chelsea scored two goals. Uh, the offensive output is just so bad right now. It's been much better, I think, since Chilwell has come back. But still, when Havertz has clear chances, he's not really taking them. And no matter how well the team defends, like you guys are struggling to get three points because the the scoring right now is just so so mid. Um, See, zero goals come from the center mids. I know there is nobody in that midfield who. Like a Frank Lampard at an extreme Yeah, level a distributor. Can, not even just that, but can be involved in the finishing product. I think yeah. rarely any of our finished opportunities come from the top of the box. Yeah. It's either set pieces, penalties, or whipped in crosses, or drag backs. It's never quick build-up and some sort of development. Joe Felix almost had that opportunity, dribbled through two players, and then lost it at the last second, but... Yeah. Just there's no no goals coming from the top of the box from any center mids. I mean, Enzo's seems like more of a distributor. He's not a, a finisher yet. Kovacic is just a typical box to box guy. He can get the ball from point A to point B, but rarely finishes. And and Golo Kante picks pockets and can drive forward, but he's not that finisher. So no. and your options on the bench don't do that either at a consistent basis. Gallagher. Uh, a loftus cheek primarily his role as a center mid but we just use him as a utility guy yeah um and it's just really you're missing tough. mount you're mount, missing yeah, prime mason it. mount that's because when he was when chelsea were really good those years when they won the champions league like that was mount you know what i mean he was so so good like instrumental in every attack the distribution was better havertz was still kind of mid but like 
everything else was better and you guys scored a lot of goals through mouth. So I, I think that's a fair assessment. I do think you guys are kind of uh, missing a player like him, but I don't like, I don't know if you would like, how would you want them to change the formation and let Mount play cam? Or do you think like, I think he's going to change the formation. Cause I've never, I don't, I think I've rarely seen Lampard use three in the back. He always yeah. uses four. four. Yeah. So ideally you're going, I think Kepa loses his spot. You Back saw for his, Mendy. I think the first season, Kepa was the primary starter. Obviously, Mendy wasn't in. And then when they brought in Mendy, Kepa was phased completely out. Yep, I remember uh, that. Frank lost the gig. And still, Mendy carried over, obviously, the Champions League run. So I think a lot of people think Kepa's going to get phased out since Mendy's fit. Uh, definitely, we need, if he's going to be that guy, he's either going to play in this Wolves game or he's going to be that man in the Champions League again. We'll see. Maybe they'll split there. Um, back four, obviously, James and Chilwell. It'll be interesting to see how involved those two get in the attack if it's just a four. Um, and then I really think it's going to be Koulibaly and Fofana until yeah. Thiago gets back. And I think I think it's going to be Thiago and Fofana, ideally. But if it's Koulibaly in there, who he doesn't do too bad. But, I mean, he makes a lot of mistakes for a guy in his 30s who... Really heavy touch on Koulibaly. Yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, Frank's definitely going to like the upgrade uh, from the start of the year, going from uh, Cody and Tarkowski to Thiago and Koulibaly. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sure he'll be happy there. Yep. Uh, I think he'll play Angolo and Enzo, Mountain Front. And then you go with Felix Havertz and then Sterling, probably. I think that's what his first 11 would be. Yeah, I mean, this Frank's got like plenty of new toys to, to play with. If he's learned anything or thinks maybe, you know, these guys are capable of doing something that maybe his Everton team weren't capable of doing, which, let's be honest, uh, in terms of talent level, I'd say this Chelsea team is capable of much, much more than that. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see sort of how, uh, Frank decides to proceed, but I don't think that they could possibly be any worse under Frank than they kind of have been under Potter and the go, the change back to like a flat four with James and Chilwell maybe on the flanks, uh, I think is good too. I, I, I've been asking for more flat four and I think if you have Koulibaly and Fofana back there, um, and Koulibaly has, you know couple less howlers uh a game then you know they could be much much better and inserting mount back in there is going to be key too uh and then as for liverpool i mean this was kind of a crazy lineup Salah coming off the bench Gakpo off the bench rabo off the bench uh kind of some freaks in here we saw firmino start up top bobby chompers jota out on the right he's had a really tough go of it this season and then and oh, Curtis Jones and Samika's got the start as well. So not really a full-strength Liverpool lineup. Um, VVD's injured as well, I think. No TAA. He got the rest. Like This is just... It was bad, and they played bad, and Chelsea probably should have taken three points. But at, you know, there's nothing I really take about this Liverpool team or take from this game. You know, I already knew all of that shit about Liverpool. This is exactly what I know them to be, regardless of if this, the starters are in or not. It's the same shit. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if he was trying to prove a point by playing with this type of team or if he was resting everybody for the Arsenal game on Saturday. Um, they still have the talent with these types of players. Like you saw, they had their chances and. Couldn't get the job done, but still going on the road to Stamford Bridge and getting a point these days doesn't seem like much, but um, still, yeah, I don't know. It was a tough game to watch, really. Yeah, I mean, it was ugly. Turgid, I think, is a good word for it. Uh, just not really entertaining, like, whatsoever. Chelsea, they did have more chances, let's be honest. They, they probably should have won, but just kind of slept through that one. Uh, this next one, hard to sleep through West Ham one, <laughs> Newcastle five, uh, Callum Wilson got the scoring started early. He scored in the sixth. Jolinton added another in the 13th. Kurt Zuma, the cat kicker got one back in the 40th, but Callum Wilson added another in the 46th before Isak struck in the 82nd and Jolinton added one final goal in the 90th minute. 
uh, story in this one was for sure Nayef Agard's absolute howler. Uh, I don't know yeah. if you saw the clip, but it is. Was uh, that one worse than Fabianski on the next one? Yeah, I don't know. That one was bad too. I think I think Agard his was worse. I mean, we watched him play for Morocco in the World Cup. He was really solid. Um, man, he did not look good in this one. Gave the ball away. Uh, they were able to just steal it, and Wilson scored. But uh, just such a bad performance from West Ham. I thought they'd be able to kind of do something. Uh, but Newcastle erupted for five goals, absolutely battered them, had eight shots on target, held the possession, uh, and played kind of how uh, Newcastle were playing earlier this season, where um, Almiron and the boys were kind of kind of pumping it up and scoring. No Almiron in this one, but Jolinton and Wilson took over the load for sure. Yeah, that, was, uh, that should be an awkward next episode in that podcast with wilson and antonio yeah yeah uh, i think the one before this game there the title of the episode was um some sort of like who's gonna win the or whatever which host is gonna win type of deal so that's kind of gonna be awkward there wilson getting a brace and after the first did the macarena yeah celebration i don't know how you felt about that that's that's vintage there but i mean that is truly vintage but I don't. I felt like the biggest thing was one. Um, still up to this point, as of recording on April sixth, uh, Moyes hasn't lost his job yet after an embarrassing loss. But I know his his body language and that, especially after the Agard goal and the Fabianski mistake. I mean, that is a broken man right there that has no solutions. I know. I mean, there truly, there is nothing that like he can do at this point. He just has to ride out the rest of the year, which I know is tough. But like, what the fuck else is he gonna do? If they concede the first goal, it's almost like they're doomed. Like they have to get that first goal. Yeah, they have to like steal one, and then if they don't, they're totally boned. It's it's bad. It's ugly. I don't know who they have left. Um, they they're still in the conference. League. I know, they're gonna fucking win that shit. They're gonna win the conference league. They're playing Ghent. I think they could totally beat Ghent. Yeah, it's the they're in the quarterfinals there. I mean, yeah. I think they have Fulham. They have Arsenal again. They have Bournemouth. Um, Liverpool, Palace, Palace City. Liverpool, City, United. Like, dude, there's not a lot of winnable games left for for West Ham. They might have a chance against Fulham. They. M- are, they'll have a good chance against Bournemouth. Palace is iffy. It's all the games that are the teams in their area that their yeah. last two games are going to be the most important. Leeds home and Le- Le- they have uh, to Le- win on the road. They have to win both of those games, or at that point, maybe they might have to. They're like in serious trouble. I mean, I know they're like two points clear of the drop, but it's only on GD, and they're level with Everton, Nottingham Forest, and Bournemouth, who have twenty seven as well. So like. They're fucked, man. They they got to figure it out here soon. And I know they're sticking with Moyes, but like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, try something different. Get, get the boys up. Or or try and score the early goal and then just sit back. But don't concede five. That's, that's not going to do anything for you. And especially yeah. now, like, who's to say that their GD couldn't be the reason they go down? Who the fuck knows? Yeah, the, theirs is the second best in the... 12th to 20th area. Yeah. Yeah. It's second best. So yeah, that could be interesting if they get relegated and, and play in the Europa league next year. I mean, that's going to be absolutely insane. I don't know the last time that happened, but I think, well, Wigan won the FA cup over city. And I think they did that following season. Okay. I think if you win the FA cup, you get a qualification for Europe. What year was was that? Like 13? 2011 that was roberto martinez won that oh my god and then he got his big move after that wow yeah so that's quite some time ago um okay let's move on to the next one yeah man united getting a big massive one nil win over brentford triple down baby yeah they get the job done and it's that man marcus rashford again another goal adding to his tally there he's 15 in the league this year fourth in the league overall um massive result for them didn't come without 
some some troubling times, but that boy Scott McTominay playing his socks off and yeah. covering a lot of tracks and clearing danger. Savitzer getting the assist on that Rashford goal, nice little header back across. It seemed like Brentford were really scratching for chances. They were very limited, only one shot on target. The entire game coming from their man off the bench, Shad. Ivan Tony bottled up. Uh, that they they've been playing with this back five, the wing backs, and and Buemo couldn't really get anything done. Um, the Premier League's been doing that nice gesture the past couple fixtures, taking breaks as soon as sundown happens for the the players that are participating in Ramadan. Yeah, it's a nice little touch there. Um, and Buemo and all those guys getting some goo and bananas in them. Yes, yeah, um, protein goo. That's what they call it. Yeah, they're not trying to overdo it. Um, Luke Shaw had an iffy game. He came off injured, I believe, and Malassia came in and had a massive effect on the game. Didn't have any drop-off there. Uh, Martial's return now. Um, the team definitely looks a lot different with Veghorst not in there. Hopefully that remains for the remainder of the season. Um, and De Gea, once again, making some incredible saves. I mean, the guy, the guy's absolutely bonkers still. I think he's the best goalie in the Prem over an Allison. Yeah. Yeah, no question. Um, I thought just honestly impressive that that United were able to get this one. They didn't make any like completely dire mistakes. I mean, a little bit shaky at times, but able to get the early goal, able to sit on it against the Brentford side who are good but weren't necessarily great uh, on the day. This is the kind of game that you just gotta you gotta get through. You have to grind. You have to take your three points uh, and move on to the next one. United surely could have played better. Uh, but I think right now it's extremely important that they get Rashford, uh, you know, back into form a little bit. He had a couple of off games, uh, so to get him scoring, get him feeling good, uh, that's going to be really important coming down the stretch here. They're in the Europa League still, double still on. Uh, you want to secure Champions League for next season, you know, even if you don't uh, win the Europa League, because you do gain promotion through that. Yeah, this was the business business end of the table now with all the teams behind them not having to deal with Europe um, in Tottenham, Brighton, Villa's creeping up there now, and they're going to have to double dip in their squad for midweek fixtures now with their uh, class with uh, in the Europa League coming up because they're playing next Thursday. Uh, oh, they play Sevilla, so they got history with them. So yeah, it's going to be really tough for them to maintain both both competitions and hold that top four place but the way Tottenham's looking they don't really have to worry about it and potentially well they do have to play Brighton twice still in the FA Cup and in the league so that's going to be those are going to be the matches where it decides if they have a lot of breathing room or not in that uh place for the Champions League or not yeah I think that's uh that's a great way to look at it Okay, uh, I believe that is everything in terms of recap games. Not a ton to talk about, but we do have um, some more weekend games that we need to preview. Yeah, we don't have any midweek games, so it's just the weekend slate. Yep. Uh, first one is Manchester United in the early kickoff hosting Everton. Massive game for both clubs for different reasons, but uh, right off the bat, Zach and I are going with United. Uh, yeah, I think I'll take United uh, in that one too. I just don't really see myself. Although Everton are physical, like you could nick a draw, but I'll I'll stick with United. I think Rashford can can eat those defenders for sure. Yeah, Ducore is going to be out for three yeah, games after that red on Kane, so they're going to have to play either Tom Davies or James Garner in the middle, unless they want to slide a Wobi in there, but. He's going to be a massive loss since Dice just showing up. Ducori's had a massive role in this team. So I think that's going to hurt him. But you still have to remember, Casemiro's not in there either. So it's a like-for-like type of thing for each club. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Okay, our next game, I believe, is Aston Villa versus Nottingham Forest. Uh, I'll take Villa in that one. They seem to be in great form right now. And if Ollie Watkins can continue scoring, I don't really see uh, why the results would change all that much. Yeah, Zach and I are taking Villa as well. Um, every time I pick Villa, it doesn't matter uh, whether I pick them or go against them. But I'm, hopefully it happens again, just like last week, not in a force on the road, this time playing a massively informed Villa team. It's going to be really tough. But yeah, I think clean slate, all three of us taking Villa there is pretty sure. Okay. 
Um, up next we have Bradford versus Newcastle. Who you got there? I have Newcastle. Uh, Zach is going with a draw. Uh, I looked at the stat. It's which both of these teams, if they concede the first goal, uh, it's really tough for them to come back. But whoever scores the first goal has undefeated. They've never lost. So whoever gets the first goal in this game is going to be in a massive have a massive advantage. The way Brentford have played lately is not reassuring to me, giving up three to Brighton and being held only one shot on target against United and playing a team like Newcastle in the form they're in at the moment. Uh, it's going to be really tough for them to to hold the to hold the dogs back. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to take uh, Newcastle straight up. I have a tough time doing that just because I think they scored so many goals last week that it's not going to be as easy for them this week, especially against the Brentford side who are much more... Uh, let's say, put together defensively. Uh, Brentford at the same time, after the way that they struggled against um, United offensively, I, I can't see them scoring a ton of goals either. I think it's a low-scoring affair. I think it's a draw. Um, you know, I just I don't want to go with either side right here because I, I don't think I have a great record with Brentford this year. And I my gut's telling me Newcastle, but... Brentford will try and fuck me somehow, so I'll I'll go with the draw. Okay. Uh, Fulham versus West Ham up next. Ooh, you can give me. I I hate, I hate this, but I'm gonna take West Ham. Yikes! I I mean, that's not moving me. Like they're not moving me. Trust me, but they got to make up for him somehow. Like they need points. Yeah, Zach's going with West Ham as well. I'm taking a draw because I could care less about either of these teams. Fulham are just down spiral. Mitrovic's band has been released. He's eight-game, eight-match suspension, so he'll be out until May 13th. And at that point, they might even be dragged into some sort of like like relegation scrap. You never know if they keep losing. They're on a three-game losing streak. It's very unlikely, but their attack has looked absolutely abysmal of late. Um, in their last three, they've only scored. They've scored three goals, but I mean they're they're losing to competition that they should be doing better against. And I, I don't know, this West Ham team is really weird to me. But so I'm just gonna go with a draw. Okay, cool. Um, up next, Wolves versus Chelsea. Oh boy, what do you got here? I did look. Ruben Neves picked up his tenth yellow in the previous match, so he will be suspended. Uh, the last time we played Wolves, we won 3 nothing, and Ruben Neves missed that game as well. So I'm going with Chelsea, new manager bounce, and Zach's going with Chelsea as well. Yeah, I'm going to go with Chelsea too. I think it's another new manager bounce. Um, you know, it's it's weird. It's weird. It doesn't work with our club. It works with other clubs, but not us. No, I mean, I'm going to stick with it. I think they'll get up for Frank. Uh, they didn't get up I for really hope. Or Bruno Saltor, uh, a very... He didn't even want that job. Nah, short-lived. I mean, the guy's already out the door. He's probably in Ibiza or something. Uh, I'll take Chelsea. I think they win this game. Okay. Um. All right. Up next, we have Tottenham versus Brighton. Good God. I mean, based on, on what the whole, the whole show that I just did, the hour-long interview with Kyle, I think I yeah. have to take Brighton respectfully. Yeah, I'm taking Brighton as well, and Zach's going to go with a draw. I don't really see where Tottenham get the advantage here. Uh, their midfield's pretty depleted, and that's where Brighton succeed. Um, ben Basuma's still out. Emerson, Benton Core, Ben Davies, um, Bertrandsen, forever that's worth. Uh, Lucas Mora, their, their X-Factor off the bench. <laughs> Three-game suspension after that straight red, so... Pretty thin off the bench, I would say, for them. Lloris is fully fit and in the goal, so that doesn't help them either. But I think anything's possible. This Brighton team still has little chokes and slips here and there, but I think they definitely will control the majority of this game and win it. Okay, fair. Um, Up next, we have Leicester City versus Bournemouth. This is a six-pointer, uh, no doubt about it. I mean, what do you got? Zach's... Zach picked Leicester um, yeah. at home here. That's what was my lo- that was was my, that was my logic last week. I want to do that again, but no Tillemans, no Dewsbury Hall. Their midfield's gonna be pretty weak going forward. 
I don't know if they start Vardy again, but this is the prime team you get this three points against. But there's just something that I just can't get behind, so I'm just going to go with the draw here. I really think Leicester are really just spiraling. I think I'm going to take Leicester. Uh, you're right, they are spiraling, but Bournemouth have also been a team that are just rolling over, I feel like, recently. Um, if they don't get a goal early, I think Leicester City worked their way uh, you know, very systematically, get a goal, and then sit back. I think they take all three points in this one, but I don't think it's going to be easy. Okay. Um, Southampton versus Manchester City up next. I'll take City in that one. I don't think we need to go into that much. They're pretty much a must-pick every week. Yeah, Man City as well for Zach and I, but Southampton do significantly play better against City at home, whereas away they get absolutely slobber-knocked. So I think it might be a little low-scoring to start. I wouldn't be surprised if the first half is a draw. Southampton do have a good home home base. Uh, when it comes to their fans rallying. So I think Sellers is really getting the most out of what's left of these guys at this point in the year. So I think it's going to be a tough, close battle, but I think City, Eke, and Holland may be back after a bit of a break from that groin in, or hamstring. I think groin, right? Yeah. 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 So they, they might not even, they might not even force him here and just go with Alvarez again, which isn't a bad shout either after last game. Yep. Um, okay. So we all got City there. Leeds United versus Crystal Palace up next. Man, this is a tough one to predict. Roy is back, had the boys absolutely buzzing last week, got a much-needed three points. Then for Leeds, seems like they're back at full strength now, got to be playing uh, all their best guys until the bitter end. It's a tough pick. It really is. Um, who do you got? My instant reaction right away, I took Palace here. Um, I did see a stat, though. Um, Leeds are, have won their last seven home matches against Palace in all competitions, um, which is really scary when I pick that. So, I don't know. I really hope Zaha's fit to play. That will be a huge loss if he's not. But IU seems like he could step right in. Having Eze and Elise in together is a massive boost. And... I think them on set pieces are really dangerous too. We've seen how effective Eze and Elise are um, on direct spot kicks. So I think Palace there for me. And Zach's going the opposite. He's going to take leads. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm going to have to go with Palace as well. I think they get these points. Um, some Roy Hodgson is like he just. I don't want to say he's the grave digger, but he kind of is like. He'll come in, he'll win a couple of games for you, he'll get a couple of draws for you, and just bury the other teams that are in the, you know, right above the drop. So I think I'll go with Palace, but, you know, I'm not like totally sold or anything like that. Yeah, no, this is a total up in the air one, another big six pointer, as you mentioned. So yeah. um, I feel like this is a bigger game for, for Leeds, really. Um, back to back home matches, and if you can get two wins in there. With um, how thin your squad is at the moment with key pl- from key players, I think this would go a long way for them. Yeah. Um, okay, and then our final game of the week, Liverpool versus Arsenal, Sunday, April 9th at 11.30. Going to coincide with probably some of the bigger groups going off at Augusta. Man, Sunday's going to be an absolute banger of a day. I am going to take Arsenal in this one, but what I will say is... This is one of those games that over the last 10 years, I would have known for certain Arsenal would fucking bottle. Right now, with the way that Arsenal have been and the way that Liverpool have played, I am very confident taking Arsenal. Yeah, I'm looking for the last time Arsenal won at Anfield. I'm like, keep scrolling here. It's been a while. Uh, you have to go all the way back to September in 2012. Arsenal won 2-0 at Liverpool. So I'm back in the Gooners. Zach's going with a draw. We'll see if the rest for Trent and Robbo has helped them in this game, but um, it's going to be really tough for them. So just got to keep back on Arsenal every week like I do City. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, and then that's everything. You know, Thank you guys for listening. Probably a shorter episode. We're just about an hour, but... 
uh, just a midweek recap. So thank you guys for listening. Make sure you check us out on social media at Post20Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find all past episodes of the show, including the Tottenham Pod special we did uh, just a few days ago on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Matt, anything to add? Um, been enjoying the Masters. Listen, yeah. watched all day at work. Uh, all the featured groups that I was watching on ESPN Plus were banging. Yeah, they're good. Uh, John Rahm, an absolute demon, giving everybody two-stroke lead on him at the start. Yep. Um, and yeah, really tough to watch Tiger the way he's been. Yeah, it's tough, man. I mean, it makes me so sad. But he had a really, you know, he, I don't know, every time I do this, like he goes and he proves me wrong again. Tiger's had a really, really good career. There's not much you more you can ask for, truthfully. Um, and I think, you know, as he's sort of grown, I know this isn't a golf podcast, but as Tiger has aged and maybe matured a little bit, he's sort of become more of a figure to pass along some of the things that he's learned. He's taken JT under his wing. Uh, from what we hear from Max Homme, he was extremely kind to him uh, when they played together at St. Andrews last year. So I don't know. It's a good thing. I hope Tiger passes along some of the fucking unreal wisdom that he has to the next generation, and we sort of see Tiger move into his next role because I, I don't want to see him, uh, you know, trying to hit a bunker shot uh, and, like, yipping in pain because it hurts so much that's not something you want to see uh your favorite athletes do it, it's tough yeah i definitely see a future sponsorship with some sort of hair plugs him and <laughs> oh man little, i'll tell you what collab there. when he took his his hat off on 18 i looked at my brother and i was like dude his shit is fucked up He's got to get something figured out. Shave your head, Tiger. Like, do something. It's bad, dude. It's bad. Or never take the hat off. Just He's got to do something because it, it did not look good sweaty in that 90-degree Augusta heat today. Yeah. I um, think Fred Couples shot even on the day. He's like 61. Fred, Freddie was one under. One Fred, under? Yeah. yeah, he was one under. He played great. Um, Fred Couples, one of the most repeatable, beautiful, buttery swings of all time. That's why he's been able to pretty much keep it, not really lose a step all the way into his 60s. So uh, impressive stuff. Quick question before we end, who do you have uh, on the weekend? Who do you think is getting a green jacket or maybe getting their second? Uh, I'd say John Rahm right now. He's you like Rahm? Uh, I really liked watching Cam Young today. He's a little dark horse. Love there. him. Uh, and also Brooks. Got to back Brooks. Yeah. Crazy. We we might see uh, a live player get you know get a green jacket this year. It's totally possible. Brooks looked amazing. All right, guys. Uh, that's it. No more golf talk. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Uh, enjoy the Masters. It only comes once a year. It is special, even if you don't like golf. So, uh, yeah. Check us out, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>